Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment and let you know what's been happening in our community. This week, Craig Somerville continues our series, While We Wait. And this past week, we had our summer camp here at the church, and the place, this building, was packed with kids and volunteers, and it was fantastic. Summer camp has always been a great ministry of Southview where kids from our church family and our community come and meet other people, hear about faith and who Jesus is. And this year we had 243 kids registered and on top of that another 110 volunteers. In fact, this year a new to Canada family tried Southview for the first time last week and the kids were able to come to summer camp and they had a blast and the mom was so encouraged because it's been hard for the kids to make friends since coming to Canada. And this is an exciting, albeit sounding simple story of just one of the ways God uses summer camp. And for us to remember that life-on-life relationships are the foundation of how God works at any age. And so we celebrate the work of God both in what we've heard and things that we may never hear about, about his work in the lives of kids this past week. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form, so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, church. You can say hello. It's okay. It's good. It's good to be together. I know Brett was uh, commenting some might be away, but it's a good thing to be together, and we're, we're glad to be together. This is a, a meeting place, a place where God is present among us, where two or three are gathered. He is here. He desires to meet with each of us, and maybe it's through a lyric that's been sung. Maybe it's through a verse that we'll read, a prayer that's been prayed, but God desires to meet with us, and it is good to be together. So whether we're here in this space or many will be joining us online as well, and welcome to you as well. We're continuing in our series, While We Wait, uh, when God does his best work in us. And uh, this series is about uh, being in seasons of waiting. Uh, Liminal spaces might be another way of talking about uh, times of waiting. And uh, there's a, a bit of a definition on the screen there that a liminal space could be defined as an intermediate state, phase, or condition. Uh, it could be an in-between time or a transitional time. And so as a church family, we are in a, an in-between time, a transitional time, where our senior Pastor Clyde retired a few weeks ago, and we are now in the season of transition between him as our senior pastor and who our next senior pastor will be. We're in this sort of interim, in-between, transitional time. But many of you might be in transitional times in your lives as well, as you, uh, the journey that you're on, whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Uh, if you're a student, 
You are in a transitional time right now with summer. July and August is a a transitional in-between time. It's a liminal space where you're waiting from the grade that you just finished to enter the next grade that is upon you. Or if you're like my daughter who just graduated high school, she's in the liminal space between high school and university. And this in-between time, and these in-between times might come in all kinds of other ways as well. Uh, an illustration I've thought, I've thought about before when I think of the idea of liminal space or liminality is uh, the idea of a doorway. If you think of your home, if you want to go from one room to the next, you often have to go through a doorway, and that doorway is like a, a threshold. It's a liminal space. So if you want to go from the kitchen to the living room and there's a doorway in between, when you enter the doorway, you're now in this in-between time, this waiting time from going from the kitchen to the living room. Or another way of looking at it might be a a tunnel. A tunnel would be a longer stretch of time where you're in an in-between time or a liminal space, going from one location, entering the darkness of the tunnel, coming out on the other side into daylight, into a new space, a new reality. Or another way of thinking of it, an, an even longer liminal space might be a road trip. Is anyone planning on taking a road trip this summer? Nobody? One, two, a few? Okay, good. We take a road trip almost every summer to the Okanagan. We love to go to the interior of BC uh, where there's lakes and beaches and usually sun and good weather. And so it's, it's typically an annual trip. And so I've got a photo of our family a few years ago. This was in the liminal space going from Okotoks where we live to the Okanagan. And that picture, there's a lot that could be said about it. We're going to come back to it later. But think of the, the reality that a road trip as a liminal space provides a lot of room for a lot of things to happen. And so even though it's an in-between time or a transitional time, there's still room for life to take place, for circumstances to unfold, for things to happen. So whether it's a doorway, a tunnel, or a road trip, uh, there are liminal spaces of all kinds of uh, shapes and sizes and stretches of time. And today, our story that we're going to be looking at is from Genesis 37 all the way to chapter 50. So we're not going to be reading all of that. But that's 13 chapters of Scripture, which is more like a road trip if you think of liminal space. And so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 37. And it's the story of Joseph. It's, it's uh, the, the narrative of the circumstances of his life and this liminal space that he found himself in, 13 chapters of Scripture, 13 years of his life, a season of waiting, a season of in-between, a liminal space that he found himself in. So Genesis chapter 37. We're going to read verses 1 to 11, and then I'll kind of summarize the rest of the story. But friends, as we turn to God's word, remember this is the word of God. So here is his word from Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, 
And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So as we approach God's word, let's just pause and invite him to speak to us from his word today. And so, Father God, we um, open your word with expectant uh, hearts. We desire to hear from you today. And so we're going to open our ears. We invite you by your Holy Spirit to open our ears to hear you today as we open your word. And Jesus, we invite you to speak. Holy Spirit, would you activate your word tonight and speak to us, even in a personal way? Would each one of us have something that we could walk away with from you? So give us ears to hear what you have to say, hearts to receive, and a will to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the story of Joseph could be described as a story of going from one pit to the next. And so if we were to read on through the, the, the next number of chapters, you would see pit after pit after pit in Joseph's life. And it's the story of these ups and downs. And the passage we read is sort of the introduction to the story, where Joseph is on kind of a high point, right? He's got his dad's favor. He's the favorite son out of 12 boys. Uh, he's, he'd been given this fabulous robe, this cloak that he wore, and it made his brothers jealous. And then he had these dreams where it looked like uh, his brothers and his family would eventually bow down to him. So he was kind of on this high in life, thinking, life is good, you know, I'm destined for greatness. But because of that, and because of the fact that maybe he shared this dream with his brothers, I don't know if any of you have brothers, older brothers especially, I don't know if you'd share this kind of a dream with them and what the reaction might be, but you can imagine that Joseph's brothers were very upset, as it said they were. And as a result of them uh, basically hating Joseph, it says uh, later on, as we read on in chapter uh, 37, that they threw Joseph into a pit, a literal pit a cistern, a well. It was dried up. There was no water in it. But originally, they were planning to, uh, to take Joseph's life. They were plotting to kill him. Their hate for him was that extreme. One of them had a, the voice of reason in that crowd and said, you know, let's not kill him, but, you know, let's think of a new plan. So they threw him into this pit. So here Joseph went from sort of the highest of highs in his family, you know, feeling good about himself. Now he's been cast into a pit where he'd been rejected and abandoned by his brothers. Well, it wasn't long before some merchants came along on their way to Egypt. So Joseph's family lived in Canaan, and this was on a major throwaway where some merchants were coming along. And the brothers had this idea that when they saw them coming, they thought, we could make some money off of our little brother. Let's pull him up out of the pit, and let's sell him to these merchants. And so they did that. And then they made up this elaborate story about how Joseph had died. They smeared his cloak in animal's blood. They took it back to their father, Jacob, and they said, look what happened. 
your son Joseph is dead. And they tried to convince him that uh, Joseph was no longer. Meanwhile, Joseph was on his way to Egypt with these merchants who then sold him again into Potiphar's house. Potiphar was an Egyptian official. And so he was sold into slavery, which is the second pit that Joseph finds himself in. He's now a stranger in a foreign land. He's a slave. He, he, is, he has no rights over his life. He's been sold to Potiphar. But in Potiphar's home, out of this pit, Joseph kind of rose up. God was with Joseph. And so Joseph began to uh, bring blessing to Potiphar and to his household. And so Potiphar began promoting Joseph within the ranks of his home to the point where Joseph was the, uh, basically the, the main guy in charge of Potiphar's house. And so Joseph now was kind of up riding a bit of a high in his life. But that didn't last very long. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. The scriptures say that Joseph was a well-built, handsome man. And so Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph day after day after day, and he kept resisting, knowing that that was not uh, the, the right path for him to take. And so he kept saying, no, no, no. And then one day, Potiphar's wife trapped Joseph and tried to seduce him again. And Joseph ran away, but before he could run, she grabbed his cloak, and he ran off, leaving the cloak behind And so Potiphar's wife went to Potiphar and made up an elaborate story herself saying that Joseph was trying to seduce her and that you need to do something about this this young man that you've put in charge of our home. And so Potiphar was enraged when he heard what happened. And so Potiphar then threw Joseph into prison. This is the third pit that Joseph finds himself in on this journey in this sort of liminal space that he's living in. Joseph is put in prison. He's been falsely accused. He's, again, at a very low point in his life. But again, he rose up while he was in prison. He found favor in the eyes of the guards there, and so he was given promotions within the prison where he had prisoners under his care. He had responsibilities, and he was beginning to make his way back up the ranks. Well, one day, a couple of uh, servants from Pharaoh's uh, service in Egypt, uh, they were thrown into prison because Pharaoh wasn't too happy with these two guys. There was a cupbearer and a baker and a candlestick maker. No, that's not part of the story. Just making sure you're all listening. I know I'm kind of going on here. It's a lot to kind of sum up here. So just making sure you're with me. But this cupbearer and this baker were thrown into prison. And uh, Joseph... Uh, was there with them, and they both had a dream one night, and they came to Joseph, and they said, could anybody interpret this dream for us? Each of us had a dream. And Joseph said, well, all dreams belong to God. Let's ask him to interpret the dreams for you. And so Joseph was able to interpret these uh, men's dreams. And the the gist of it was that they would be going back to Pharaoh. The one, the cupbearer, would be restored in three days to Pharaoh's service. The baker would be executed publicly in three days. So for both of these men, in three days, something big was going to happen. The cupbearer would be restored. The baker would be executed. Well, three days later, those events took place. But before they left the prison, Joseph said to the cupbearer, when you get back into Pharaoh's service, please remember me. And so that cupbearer went along and totally forgot about Joseph. Two more years passed where Joseph was in the pit of this prison. He'd now been forgotten. He'd helped these two guys. He'd explained their dreams. And the cupbearer in particular went back into Pharaoh's service. And Joseph was forgotten, alone, 
back in the pit in prison. Well, eventually, two years later, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream. He had a couple of dreams as well. And he went to his people and he said, who could interpret these dreams for, him, for me? And the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, well, I actually remember a guy who was able to interpret dreams. Let's call on him. So Pharaoh brought Joseph out of prison and asked him to interpret these dreams that he had. And in a nutshell, the dreams that Pharaoh had had to do with a famine that was going to come. There would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh was very concerned about this dream. It was basically a warning from God. And he said to Joseph, what should I do? And Joseph came up with this elaborate plan about how he should uh, take these seven years of plenty and began to store up and accumulate provisions so that when the famine comes, you can take care of your people. You can feed them. And so Pharaoh says, well, that sounds like a great plan. And I don't know anybody better than you, Joseph, to, to, to execute that plan. So you should come into my service and so now Joseph has risen out of the pit of prison and he's into Pharaoh's service as one of his high up officials, taking care of this plan to store up provisions for when the famine would come. I'm trying to make a long story short, so I hope you're bearing with me. We're going to get through this and then some, some observations that we'll look at afterwards. But here we go. So Joseph is now storing up and accumulating provisions in, uh, in the land and the famine hits. And so the Egyptians are starting to come to Joseph for food, right? And then it says that other nations around Egypt were starting to come to Egypt for food because they found out that the Egyptians were actually, uh, you know, storing up these provisions. Jacob, Joseph's father, back in Canaan, heard that Egypt had food. And Jacob told his sons, the 10 older boys, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to buy food because we're running out here. We have nothing to live on. You need to go get food for us. So these brothers went to Egypt, not knowing where Joseph ended up. And they end up confronting Joseph. And the long story, there's a few chapters that unfold there. But uh, as that story comes to fruition, Joseph is face to face with his brothers. And listen to what he says in chapter 45, verses 4 to 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And so Joseph, uh, as he's sharing with his brothers why he was there, his brothers had every right to be afraid because Joseph was in a higher position than them. Joseph's dreams had come to pass. The sheaves of grain, you know, back in the, the dream that he had, they were now bowing down before Joseph, and, and the, the dream was becoming a reality right in front of his brothers' faces. And they probably were shaking in their boots. But Joseph said, don't worry, God sent me here ahead of you. And then look again in chapter 50, um, verses 19 to 20, just another summary of, of what took place. 
But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. And so Joseph says to his brothers, God put me here. You guys might have sold me into slavery. You guys might have left me, left me for dead. You guys might have intended harm. You guys hated me so much. But basically what Joseph is saying is, I forgive you because God put me here for a greater purpose. And so the story of Joseph really is this, this big story of God at work through a liminal space in Joseph's life, 13 years from when he was rejected and abandoned by his brothers to when he was finally up in the ranks of Pharaoh's uh, service. And the dreams that Joseph had in chapter 37 were now coming to reality in Genesis 45 and Genesis 50, where Joseph can say, God put me here for a purpose, to save many lives. And so the story of Joseph is about God's providence. It's about God's guidance and care for his people. It's about the reality that God is at work in the world despite human activity or even inactivity. The events that took place through the human realm, God used them all and orchestrated to accomplish his good purposes to save many lives, and specifically his chosen people, Jacob's family. This story reminds me of a couple verses from Isaiah 55. You might know these verses. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God often has surprising ways of working in our lives and in our world. And in the story of Joseph, there was surprise after surprise after surprise. Just when you thought Joseph was down and out in another pit, God was at work doing something totally different, totally unexpected. And the story of Joseph is also a foreshadow of Jesus, the true Messiah who would come and save many lives himself. If you picture Joseph feeding his family, feeding the nations, Jesus, uh, Joseph is a foreshadow of Jesus who would come and feed the nations, saying, I am the bread of life, and anyone who comes and feasts on me will have everlasting life. And so Joseph is also pointing us to Jesus. But these are sort of the big ideas of this story. Today, what we really want to look at is particularly this idea of waiting, this idea of liminal space, this idea that Joseph went 13 years in this in-between time from being at home with his family to being restored to them in Genesis 45 and Genesis 50, where he had gathered his family back together with him. 13 years of liminal space. I don't know what kind of liminal space you find yourselves in. I mentioned earlier, we're in liminal space as a church body, right? Between senior pastors, the in-between time, the transition. A search will be coming soon. You know, all of these things will take place, but it's this in-between time we're in. I don't know what you're in personally. Maybe there's a health crisis you're going through, and that's a liminal space. It's a change from, from what you've known before. Maybe you've lost a loved one, and you're in a time of grief, and that's a liminal space. Like I said earlier, maybe you're a student, and you're in a, a liminal space between grades or between schools or whatever it might be. Maybe you're between jobs. 
What kind of liminal space are you in? And what can we learn from this Joseph story in Genesis about how to wait, how to allow God to do his best work in us? So I want to ask that question. How can we allow God to do his best work in us in the liminal spaces we find ourselves in? So there's three words I want us to consider out of this text today. Simple words, so hopefully they're memorable. The first word is look. Look. And specifically, look for Jesus. Look for God in the midst of the liminal space you find yourself in. Joseph, I don't know if he was aware of it or not, but there's a few times through this narrative where it says that God was with Joseph. Look at uh, chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So that was in Potiphar's house. When Joseph was sold into slavery, it says the Lord was with him. He was not alone. And then a bit later on, uh, further down in chapter 39, verse 20, uh, partway through verse 20. Uh, where am I here? It says the place where, oh, sorry, nope. Uh, but while Joseph was there in prison, so in the pit of prison, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Joseph wasn't alone in the liminal spaces that he found himself in. God was with him. Through the ups and downs, through the journey that he was on, those 13 years, God had not left him. God was with him. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28 when he gave the great commission, he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And those are words that are promises to us. We just sang a song about it earlier tonight. The Lord is with us. God is with you. And so how can we allow God to do his best work in us in the liminal spaces we find ourselves in? We need to start by looking for Jesus in the midst of the circumstances we're in. Look for God. Look for him. He is present. What is he doing in the midst of the circumstances you're in? What might his presence bring to you in the liminal spaces that you're in? I'd encourage you, as you look for Jesus, let his presence strengthen you. Let his presence encourage you. Let his presence comfort you. Let his presence guide you. God is with you. God is with us in our liminal spaces. So that's the first word, look. The second word I want us to consider is listen. Listen. And specifically, listen carefully, because God is speaking. In this passage, uh, this story that we've just looked, uh, looked through, God was speaking to Joseph, God was speaking to other people, God was speaking through others, and specifically, dreams were a big part of how God spoke in these passages in Genesis. Look at Genesis 40, verses 8 and 9. This is in prison when the two servants from Pharaoh approached uh, Joseph. They said, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Joseph wasn't saying, you know, I'm a great uh, uh, dream interpreter. He's like, he didn't say that I can do this myself. He said, all interpretation belongs to God. Let's talk to him about what your dreams mean. And Joseph had an ear to what God was saying in the midst of his circumstances. Joseph's dreams back in chapter 37, I don't know if he knew it was God speaking, but clearly that was God speaking as we read through the, the passage and read through the story. God was speaking and Joseph was listening. And so the encouragement to us 
is listen carefully to what Jesus is saying to you. Listen carefully to what Jesus is saying to us. In John chapter 10, Jesus said to his disciples, he talked about a story of a shepherd and sheep, and he said, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. They hear me, they know my voice, they follow me, they listen. So as followers of Jesus, we're invited to listen to Jesus, to to ask him, what is he trying to say to us in the midst of the circumstances we find ourselves in? Maybe he'll speak through dreams. Maybe he'll speak through the word as we gather on a weekend like this. Maybe he'll speak through the word in your own personal time. Maybe he'll speak through the whispers and promptings of the Holy Spirit guiding you. Maybe he'll speak through other believing friends who are listening to Jesus themselves, and maybe they've got a word for you. Listen carefully to Jesus in the liminal spaces. And then the last word I want us to consider is the word live. Live. And specifically, live faithfully for Jesus. Live passionately for Jesus. Live fully for Jesus. Even in the midst of liminal times, liminal spaces, the in-betweens, even in the ups and downs of life. Joseph, even in the bottom of the pits that he found himself in, the literal pit, the prison, slavery, being forgotten, all of these pits that he found himself in, he still lived faithfully for God. Look at Genesis 39, verses 2 to 6. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant, Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph had a couple of options in the pits that he found himself in. When he was sold into slavery into Potiphar's house, he could have put his head down and just kind of rode it out and, you know, not really tried to do anything of significance. But instead, he lifted up his eyes. He looked to God. He said, God, what are you trying to do in this situation? And he let God live through him to bless Potiphar and to bless Potiphar's household. And in the liminal spaces we find ourselves in, in the seasons of waiting we find ourselves in, there's other people in our lives that we're going to interact with. And we have a choice to let God use us in their lives to, to have an influence and an impact or to just put our head down and mind our own business and just bemoan the fact that we're in a pit. Joseph lived fully and faithfully for Jesus regardless of his circumstances. We have a mission here at Southview to passionately follow Jesus and to lead others to passionately follow him as well. And I would argue that in the ups and downs of life, even in the liminal spaces, that mission never changes. We are to live lives that are passionately following Jesus regardless of what's going on. Not to minimize life could be difficult and there might be challenges that we face. But God, as we see in this story, God's bigger than anything we might be going through. And we can look to him and we can listen to him and we can live fully and faithfully in front of him. I want to close by just going back to the photo I showed earlier. So that picture of my family 
This is on our road trip from Okotoks to the Okanagan, and this picture was taken just before uh, entering Golden, so on this side of Golden, BC, where if you've driven that road before, there's been all kinds of construction over the years. There's all kinds of ups and downs. There's semi-trucks that go by, and there's a bit of a windy road as you approach Golden, and it was on that windy road that that picture was taken. Now, we exaggerated it a little bit because it was, you know, a selfie that I thought would be fun. But if you look in that photo, there's three expressions that are similar and one that's different. My wife, Tammy, and I are in the front. Tammy's driving. I'm nervous because Tammy's driving. And uh, she's nervous because I don't know what she sees in front of her. Our daughter, Matea, is right behind Tammy with her hands at her face. She's freaking out. But our other daughter, Emma, has her hand up in the air like, Yahoo! Like, she's having a blast in the midst of this moment of panic. And this moment was taken in a liminal time, right? We were on a road trip trying to get from one place to the next. But Emma's posture in that photo is the posture I want to encourage us to take. In the liminal spaces, in the the times of waiting that we go through, we have options. We have choices of how we're going to respond. Only one person in that photo embraced the moment, Only one person in that photo embraced the liminal space for all that it had to offer. And we didn't know if we were going to go head on into a Mack truck or whatever was going to happen next. But my daughter was having a blast, whatever was going on there. I'm not trying to minimize challenges we'll go through in life. When you're in the pits, it is the pits. And you have every right to grieve and mourn and have emotions. But God is bigger than the pits we find ourselves in. In the seasons of waiting, in the liminal spaces, in the in-between times and the transition times, we need to invite him in. We need to embrace the circumstances on the chance that God's got something in store that maybe we just don't really know about. Maybe we haven't really figured it out the way he has because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so we need to embrace the moment and trust him with whatever the outcomes will be because he has good intentions in mind. His purposes, his plans will always prevail. And we have the choice of whether or not we're going to partner with him in that. So I want to encourage you in seasons of waiting in liminal spaces, look for Jesus, listen to him carefully, live for him faithfully and passionately. Let's pray. And so, Jesus, I pray for each one of us. I don't know the details of each and every one of our lives. I don't know the ups and downs that we're all going through. I don't know the pits that some of us might find ourselves in today. But as we've just looked at in this story of Joseph, you're bigger than the pits that we will find ourselves in. Your plans and your purposes will always prevail. And God, you have good things in store, good things in mind for your people. You long to provide for us to take care of us, to guide us, to turn things around, to take bad situations and turn them into good outcomes. And so, Father God, we invite you to be at work in every facet of our lives. And I pray specifically for those of us who are in liminal spaces, in the threshold, the in-between time from one thing to the next. Help us to meet you in significant ways in these spaces. Help us to invite you in, to find the fullness of your presence, to find the clarity of your voice, to live fully and faithfully in front of you in those places. Give us the strength to do these things. And may your purposes prevail. And I pray that for our church as well in the season of waiting that we're in. 
May your purposes, your good purposes prevail among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand, and uh, I'd like to speak a word of benediction over you before we go, before, uh, over us before we go. And just as Brett mentioned earlier, the sun's still shining. You're welcome to hang out and to connect and uh, maybe introduce yourself to somebody new or reconnect with somebody that you haven't seen for a while. Uh, but as you go, uh, let me just speak this word of blessing and benediction over you. So may God be with you in whatever liminal space you're in these days. May you know the comfort of his presence, the clarity of his voice, the strength of his spirit, and the gift of his provision in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed.